Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. What's up, fellow Turtle fans? To this week's edition here at Feelin' Film, I'm Patch, one of your co-hosts, and with me is the man who prefers the word ooze over mutagen, and that is my best friend and co-host, Aaron. That is a fact. I definitely prefer the word ooze over mutagen. Mutagen yeah. can go. It's way yeah. too complicated. A little it's too science Too many yeah. syllables. Yeah. Yeah. No thanks. Yeah. We'll, we'll keep that for like Ant-Man or something like that, the science-y side There you thing. go. Exactly. Yeah. Good comparison. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're continuing our Turtle Power Week, running into week two of two, (laughs) as we uh, dive into this fun conversation about the latest iteration of the TMNTIP. Lot of letters there for you, and I think it's going to be a good conversation. So without further ado, let's get you into the spoiler part of our conversation. This is your warning. See the movie. Enjoy it. Come back. Enjoy the conversation. Agree with us on everything, because, you know, we're going to say good things about the movie. All right. Let's get into it, Aaron. This is the latest and greatest, Mutant Mayhem. This is part one of two, although it's not advertised as part one. So spoiler there already. There, there is going to be a sequel. That is, that's that not, hold on, hold on. I want to make sure we're not like unfairly criticizing movies for this. This is not no, no, part no, no, one no, of no. two. This no, is sorry. simply okay. a movie that this might a have movie a sequel. Yeah. That, that, that has been greenlit for a sequel. It's not it it has not been created as a part one of two. Okay, so thank you for that. Yes, I apologize. Forgive me. This is a standalone feature, just like Spider Verse. The first entry was just that, and it's got lots more to it as we'll get into it. But yes, this is the latest iteration of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Let's start off with the animation style. So this is the this is the big thing that I think a lot of people will be talking about is the first time that a cartoon or an animated version of the turtles looks like this what do you think man was this was this new for you have you seen this style before and and where did you where did it leave you well we've yes we've seen this style before <laughs> we both have uh well okay yeah we not have, as the turtles but, <laughs> but yeah okay so let's okay, give me your thoughts because i'm gonna i i think i know what you're gonna say and i'm gonna rebut a little bit on okay that. okay Go ahead. interesting Yes, absolutely. Love this. Sorry, dropped my soccer ball while I was there and just made a make my screen do weird things. What am I doing here? What is going on? There we go. Sorry. <laughs> Woo! Anyway, I loved it. I this was a big draw for me when I saw the trailer in the first place was I, I thought it was nice. Anytime I get interesting animation that doesn't look like something that I see a lot or that I'm familiar with. I'm going to gravitate towards that. There are elements in here that are clearly brought over from the film's production designer, Yasher Kasai, who worked on the Mitchells versus the Machines and Into the Spider-Verse. And that style is all over this, in my opinion. There's also some of that almost like stop-motion-esque scenery, like the stuff that you would see in the bad guys. I remember... There's a scene in the Turtles movie where there's like a poof of smoke or something or like, you know, like something gets dust gets kicked up or whatever. And it reminded me exactly of what it looked like when I saw something happen, like out of the exhaust of the car in Bad Guys. So I really like it. It's visually striking. It keeps your attention. It's kinetic. It helps with the energy and the action. 
And I wanted to share a couple things that, that I've read about this because I find it really interesting that their approach for this, because it worked for me. It made me feel like it wasn't perfect. And reading the comments from the filmmakers, that's what they were going for. They were saying that the, the director, actually, I'll quote him. He said, we had a day where instead of doing an art review, everyone brought in their high school drawings. When you're a teenager, you draw a hand and you're like, I'm going to draw the thumbnail and I'm going to draw every wrinkle and then I'm going to shade it. Then it's horribly misshapen and doesn't look right, <laughs> but you cared so much about it. That was what they did. He said, our, our lines were awful. Then you might erase your lines, but you couldn't erase them all the way or your palm might smudge them and you're like, that's fine, I'll just leave it. And so they coined the term teenage energy and they purposefully were looking to get a sort of amateurish passion out of the art style. And Kasai, the production designer, even said, in a landscape of beautifully drawn visuals, by highly skilled artists who've gone to art school for many years and drawn very appealing things, we told them to come to work and draw crappier and worse. And I, I appreciated that. And I appreciated that the turtles don't look like they're perfect. They're not like these unnatural, smooth, rounded bodies and limbs dude they like there's like some cracks and awkwardness to their body designs they don't all look normal they're not i'm sorry they don't all look the same there's a little bit of uniqueness to them and so they're they're kind of imperfect and, and i really thought that that added a lot of personality to the the art style as well yeah, and, and I agree with a lot of what you're saying with regard to the art style because, yes, Spider-Verse definitely has its, like, echo in here and a little bit of Mitchell's versus the machine. But I think it's that sketchiness, that idea of imperfection that makes this art style really different from its predecessor. Because if you look at individual frames of Spider-Verse or even of Mitchell's versus the machines, there's still a smoothness occasionally. Spider-Verse's animation style is meant to feel very comic book-esque, very flat, very hand-drawn, but not hand-drawn in a sense of like the 1987 Ninja Turtles type of cell drawing, that kind of thing. And I think that in a lot of ways, some of the criticism for Spider-Verse is that sometimes it felt like it was supposed to be in 3D because you have cell on top of cell, but drawn in a way that it's fully animated. It doesn't feel like it's cell on. So I mean, it's what makes a very cool looking thing and, it, and you can kind of, you know, take it or leave it. Mitchell's versus the machine is a combination of what I think sits inside turtles and a traditional animated film. Cause if you look at the characters, they're very well smoothed out. They're very colorful. And the transition scenes in that movie sometimes are the, the quick kind of scribbly type stuff. It reminds me a lot of Scott Pilgrim, where you have these thrown in game elements flat, you know, it's very much like a video game and it separates you from the reality of the movie where I think the Ninja Turtle animation style works is that grittiness and that highly energetic scribbleness puts us in a place where we're dealing with a lot of not just action in the movie, but a lot of energy from the characters. This is probably the first time, Aaron, where I felt like not just because of the animation, but as a result of it accenting this characteristic, that these felt like teenagers. And as much as I adore the 1990 version and 
to an extended sequel, as much as I've grown to really enjoy the 2016 Turtles, neither of those iterations really emphasize the teenage part of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So when we get the, it's such a great opening for them. So just like the, just like the cartoon and just like the opening of the 1990, we get that kind of drop into the sewer, you know, with the NYC sewer company. Great. Perfect. And then we see them building this, like, it looks like they're going to go out for an epic fight. And in actuality, they're going to get groceries for Splinter. And it makes perfect sense. The conversations that they're having, the way in which they're talking to each other, how they respond to watching Ferris Bueller's Day Off at the movie in the park. It's all in service of this is what teenagers sound like. These guys who think they have it all together, but don't, and they feel a little awkward here and there. The stuff that they deal with throughout the movie is very much a teenage type of angst. Like I felt a little bit like I was getting some John Hughes vibes from them. And yes, very much so because you know you got Ferris Bueller in the background. There's a great line. I don't remember who says it. Maybe it's Donatello who says, really, this is kind of how, is this how high schoolers are supposed to act? Like, yeah, really, I'm going to, yeah, everybody's going to be this guy, Ferris Bueller. And it's such a great sort of in-joke for thinking about the love that we have for 80s high school movies, at least the ones that I do, and how unrealistic they are. Because when you think about a Ferris Bueller, you don't know that guy. You wanted to think you were either that, either that guy or that you felt like that guy existed somewhere in your high school, but he was untouchable. And I think that moments like that and how they talk to each other really emphasize that teenageness that Rogan and company sort of lean into as the movie goes on, as we get into the themes of family and wanting to kind of be your own unique, quote, person. But that's what I think the animation lends itself to the most is the fact that it feels unfinished. The other thing, Aaron, is that I found this out uh, several years ago. We were putting together for my work, we were putting together a video dealing with these like training sequences and whatnot. We were creating like retelling stories of catastrophes that were happening in order to sort of emphasize, okay, here's how you handle a situation like this. We weren't (laughs) recreating disaster. Yeah, it wasn't like, here's how the Titanic went down. No. (laughs) And we were trying to decide on how to animate these things, how to create, what's the style that we're going to go with based off the resources that we have. And we thought about using 3D art, you know, like, and the thing that really stood out were these sketches that one of my people was doing for like his, the storyboards. I'm like, why don't we just use these? Why don't you use stills and slightly animate them? Because the more detail you put into a piece of art, the more it's going to get criticized. That's the thing we find out about it. So if you're telling a story and a guy's eyeballs that are supposed to be photorealistic or hyper-realistic look weird, you're going to point to those as opposed to being you know, enamored with everything else in the whole story. It's like, oh, that dude's eyes look weird. But if everybody's eyes look weird, if everybody's face looks a little messed up, it blends into the entire like sequence. And so it all looks cohesive. That's where I think the strength of this is because New York's a dirty city and the sewers are dirty. And as much as I love the turtles, they're probably dirty too because they're living in the sewers and they're living in New York. So not to diss New Yorkers necessarily, but New York is known for its just kind of grittiness. You know, the Ghostbusters, the 1980s movie paid tribute to that city, but it still had its grays and things like that. And I think that when you watch this, the turtles themselves stand out because colorfully they're supposed to pop a little bit more. But I think that's by design. 
but I liked the fact that they weren't digitally altered in a way that made them stand out so much that they didn't feel part of the scene. So they were definitely mm-hmm. part of New York. They were definitely yeah. part of the people around them, which plays into that theme of how do you become part of this family of New Yorkers without feeling like you're an oddball? And and I think, the again, the animation, I think, just really plays well into that idea. Yeah, that, that last part's a really good point, that them and the different mutants, the ton of different mutants that we see, they don't look vastly different from the humans in the art style. Whereas we're used to seeing in previous, you know, animated iterations of the turtles, you see the turtles and yeah, they stick out because they're a turtle, but that, that gap is wider. Like you're saying, when, when you look like a turtle and I look like a normal, perfectly drawn, cleanly, smoothly lined or whatever human being, that gap is humongous. But if we're both like all kind of rough and, you know, shaded in, not perfect ways and and everything's kind of blending together, then we start to almost look kind of like we're sort of the same species and maybe just different colors of the same species. And, and I like that a lot about this one as well. Well, and the, the other thing that I love about the, the look of the turtles is that they all look different. So as we're getting the origin story of Splinter, one of the things we see as they're growing up is I'm like, there's one turtle that looks a little bit fatter than the other. And it turns out to be Raphael, who's a lot more, he's a lot bulkier than the other three. This is, again, another, apart from the comics, this is the first time that I've seen the turtles look visibly different from each other and how it makes sense for them to. I love the fact that Raphael has a full-blown bandana as opposed to just an eye mask. I love that Donatello is what you call adorkably, he's adorkable because he has his glasses on top of his mask. And then you have Michelangelo, who is visibly smaller, like he's not as built as the other three. And I think that Leonardo sort of sets the tone of like, this is what a normal turtle should look like, the leader, you know, whatever. I mean, <laughs> you would I, say I that, of course, yeah, the well, Leonardo guy over here, like bragging on Leonardo. The t- he sets the tone. He's the one he's... that looks the best and the most, the most realistic. See, now, the rest see, of them are all jacked up and all have some see, kind of sort of flaw, but Leonardo, see, this, this, no. This is this is where the words are getting twisted, right here in this cup. <laughs> this like my, <laughs> metaphorical. You're even cup wearing that, blue. I mean, yeah, I'm wearing. On. It's is it blue? Yeah, it is blue. Actually, it's teal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, like anyway. you didn't do it on purpose. Your subconscious is what it is. <laughs> but no, it's it's so cool. That it, it's neat to see the attention paid to individual characters because, like we talked about last week, the way to differentiate these turtles. <laughs> is their masks and their weapons. And we got a lot of both. So it's really fun at the end when they're going to school and their masks are off and I know what they look like because or I know who they are. It's terrible. It does way. look weird. It's but... really creepy. I was like, no, put them back on. Put them back on. I mean, I seriously, I, I turned my eyes away. It was like a horror movie. Would it you, was not would good. Have, would you have rather had like a hat on one Absolutely. of them? Like maybe just something in the face. The face. It's just, it's, it doesn't look right. It's so <laughs> awkward, man. Oh, it was bad. Baby Shreks is what they were, right? Yeah. <laughs> <that's>, oh. <laughs> anyway, I just I love the I love the the detail that was taken with those because it makes a whole lot of sense that if you have four brothers, they're not all going to grow up to look the same or be the same. Even if in the animal kingdom, you know, a pack of lions or any kind of breed, they're going to look different. They're going to have different, you know, if they have fur, they're going to be different colors. They're going to be different shapes. And I think those cater to the personality types 
of each one of the of the turtles. In fact, my son, who didn't really like this one as much as the iterations that he's seen in the past, and that's fine. One of the things that he said, particularly with with Donatello, is that he sounded like a toddler, like his voice was higher than the other teenagers. And I, as you shake your head, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna throw some love at my son. I said, you're not wrong. He does sound a lot younger. He doesn't sound like, quote, a teenager. But again, I think what makes the magic of these four together is that they're all sort of growing up in different ways. They might all be the same age, but they're going to have influences around them that are going to cause them to sort of either, you know, I'm sure Raphael, who's cool but rude, he probably bulks up. He's probably a, you know, he's probably a weightlifter. And so he's going to be a little bit bigger than the other four. And then you have Donatello and Michelangelo, who are more just kind of playful, smart guys. They're not going to be as bulky. And so it didn't make, it didn't jar me to hear that Donatello's voice was higher than others. Young teenagers are going to have that because not all of them are going to go through puberty at the same time. So you might have a 12 or 13 year old whose voice is not going to be a teenager. And I love the differentiation. The voice cast for these four is absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly it. You're going to, you, it's real life. You have different vocal ranges. You have different body types and sizes, and they are just representative of that. And I liked it. And I thought that the voices were really good. And I appreciated that they didn't use stars for the voices. And I, and I know that that's probably a bigger picture choice because if you're going to translate this into a TV series as well, then what you should do to make it the best way possible is you need to have the turtles be the same. And you aren't going to cast whoever, insert like very famous 20-something actor to play a teenager here and then get them to do your turtles animated TV show. You're not going to get four of them to do that. So you need to cast these young teenagers that are actually the part and can grow with these roles over X number of years if you're going to move this forward in a way of like a franchise. So I really liked how they did that and they kept the known actor voices to cameos. And most of them, to be honest, you really couldn't even tell who they were with the exception of like two or three being, you know, Splinter was obvious Jackie Chan is perfect. Like, it's he's such an incredible fit. I'm surprised he hasn't voiced Splinter before. Superfly is undeniably Ice Cube, which, by the way, is really funny in the very end when he's, like, tramping through New York and talking smack about New York, and all I could think about is, like, West Coast finally won, you know, for, for that brief <laughs> moment. And then, and then the other one that kind of is obvious is, to me at least, was Paul Rudd as Mondo Gecko. And, but most of the others don't even stick out. I think John Cena is like, and Seth Rogen are Bebop and Rocksteady. And I would have yeah. never been able to tell you that. Well, you're exactly right. And I, what coerced me or what coerced me to get my son to, what coerced my son to come to the movie, there we go, I could say it right, was the fact that I told him, hey, John Cena is in this movie. And he, I said, he said, who is he? And I said, I said, he's Rocksteady. And he had trouble figuring it out. One, because look, part of the, part of the beauty and the curse of the script is there's a lot of talking over each other. Like it's crazy how much there is talking over each other. And I'm like, how do you script that? That's just, that's like Aaron Sorkin on drugs, like without the rhythm, 
It's just chaos. But there were a few times when you were like, yep, that's John Cena. That's John Cena. And that's Seth Rogen, who you didn't know. The thing is, Aaron, is I I knew of the cameos of the 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 bigger cast using you know having smaller parts. The one thing that stood out to me was, and again, you're gonna laugh at me, it's Leonardo's voice played by Nicholas Cantu, Cantu I think it's Cantu or Cantu. He sounds a lot like Jake Johnson. Like I thought, is Jake Johnson voicing this? And then I remembered, no, 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 no. These are all sort of fairly unknowns in in this space. Yeah. But all four of them just absolutely encompassed what it felt like to be an adolescent. Like the way in which they were discussing videos and like when, when they're going on the grocery run, which by the way, were they stealing that? Did I never saw cash put on the table. I'm pretty think they sure were, they were stealing. Yes. I, they were stealing groceries. Like that's not okay, but whatever. I thought the other thing that was great was this updated origin story. So nothing really changed as far as like they got hit with the ooze and they grew up and they became ninjas, but it's such a more relaxed backstory. Like there's no like overtones of like, yeah, Samato Yoshi and Orokosaki. And it's like, no, you got Jackie Chan, who is the like comedic martial artist. He's like, yeah, I was, you know, I got thrown out and I found these turtles because uh, I hate humans, and that's kind of how I allowed you guys to grow up was to hate humans because they're the worst. And and I love that all the martial arts was from great like eight like B movies of of like the past. Like that's how he learned martial arts, and it was such a great tonal shift in terms of how they learned. Like this is the first time we actually get a dad as Splinter. Like I never thought of Splinter as a father, maybe as a father in, in the sense of like kind of like a I'm a father, but not like a dad. Like the way that they call That's, him dad, it just feels They call him like, dad. They don't call him master. They call him yeah. dad. All yeah. I don't think they ever say master. Uh, they don't because that's different. not what he is. Yeah. He is an absolute, he's a dad first and he's a, he's a helicopter dad who wants to make sure that they don't get in trouble and that they're not found out by the humans because of this sort of prejudice that he has. Yeah. So no, I disagree. I, I mean, I'm glad you liked it. I'll say that. Like, the origin story is befitting of this particular iteration of the turtles, and therefore I accept it because it's fine. It's fine. It was like two minutes of the movie, and I and I, so I I sort of appreciate that because it's like okay, most people who are coming to this and are not brand new of this generation will have an idea of what the turtle origin story already is, even though they flip a whole bunch of things on their head outside of just this little condensing here. But for me, it is a cute joke. It's funny to be like, oh, yeah, he was just like a rat and decided one day, we're bored. I need something for these guys to do. So I'll teach, I'll have them learn how to be ninjas or over or martial artists by watching movies. It is funny, yes. It is completely, to me, unrealistic. And I, I still stand by what I said last week. For me, the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles origin story, the connection is more personal for the villains, and it, it makes sense as to why they would be good ninjas, not just teenagers with some weapons who think they can flip around and do stuff. Because that is more the reality here. Like there, and I know I'm I'm breaking down a kids' movie about mutant turtles and raps <laughs> by bringing logic. I understand. If there is no one to train them, it's not like they are predisposed physically to being 
fantastic athletically. And so I struggle to believe that these are going to be the team. And maybe they won't. Maybe they'll just be bad at their jobs. I don't know. But they were definitely effective as martial artists. And I just, I would have liked it to stay a little bit more, that part of it, to stay a little (laughs) bit more to the script, so to speak. I like the dad part, though. So I, if you got to take it away to get this dad vibe, I'm okay with that. Yeah, and I think that you're absolutely right. The tone of the origin story fit the tone of the movie and probably what will eventually be the television series that this is sort of diving off to. What I thought, there, there were great little moments, especially with Splinter, where I love that he, you know, he, he brings them down and he basically tries to recreate what it's like to live with humans, complete with like the three cutouts of the three Chris <laughs> and the in-joke with Chris Pine and his eyebrows. Like, this is the best one. This is the best one. All the little, all the little pop culture jokes were really good, but they weren't so egregious that it was like you were getting thrown at these things all the time. There was an awareness of the fact that they weren't living in some other universe. They were living in ours. So very much like this is the New York that we would know, the pop culture references we get. But I love the fact that you have a character in the form of Splinter who does enact that sense of wanting to be a parent more than a trainer. So having that origin story, I think, reemphasizes that to a point. But I agree. I mean, it, at some point, you're learning to be better. You're, you're learning to be and you're training in something. I think that if you were to play that to its logical conclusion, to, to play your game a little bit, they would have more, because they're teenagers, they're going to be, this, this story could have probably been be- a little bit better if they had been in training or if they were just kind of moving themselves further like if they were to get their bandanas at some point through in the movie you know just some some way of sort of putting them in a position where they're earning their stripes so to speak they haven't already been established because i think that's also part of this teenageness is that you're learning how to be a <laughs> live in a human world by not being human but you're also perfecting your own other qualities with as you grow up. And so I think it would have been cool to have them like, not quite like if Leonardo or Donatello were throwing their, their, their weapons or using their weapons and they accidentally threw them like, Oh oh my gosh, but you've got these guys throwing ninja stars at Michelangelo's head and they're knocking the watermelon off of his head. Like logically, I don't think that would make sense, but it's still a lot of fun to watch. One of the other things that I thought was kind of a really cool retelling was April O'Neil. I love the fact that she's a teenager in this. This is phenomenal. This is probably one of the better changes from the origin stories that we've gotten in the past because it literally puts her on the same level. She gets her own origin story. Like she has her own demons to overcome by throwing up, by getting on camera. She's not already established. And we see it's kind of like an early Lois Lane, like this, this inevitable, like this, uh, this reporter who wants to eventually report on the things that that she wants to talk about i love the little she's on the phone with them and and she's like yeah i wasn't really thinking about any questions she's got this whole notebook full of all these questions she wants to ask them it's it's such a great change because it allows her to connect with them and it really justifies the crush that leo has on her near the near the beginning it doesn't feel as weird as like michelangelo having a crush on april O'Neil in 1990 because it's like first of all that's a human adult female you're a teenage turtle that's a little weird i believe the 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 crush in this in this movie it felt 
more appropriate in this in this kind of story. Yes, I agree. And giving April a common interest or common goal, something that she could relate to the turtles with, was just a really nice choice because she feels like someone who is more of an understanding ally at that point rather than just kind of a bystander who just wants to see good done in the world. Like she genuinely becomes their friend and that's because they're the same age. There's a difference there. Um, whereas, you know, the April in the original series or movies is it should be more of a, another adult figure like a splinter, like you were talking about versus some sort of a romantic interest or just, she's not on their, she shouldn't be on their level. And this April is definitely on their level and is someone who feels out of place in her world and also wants to have a better high school experience. It's funny that they all want to have like these great high school experiences and, and they're, th these are the only characters that are good with being in high school when in reality, real people just want to get out of high school yeah. and go be adults. <laughs> so I, I've always found that interesting, but I like this one a lot, especially as an origin story and as the start of a character who you want to see have something to do over the course of multiple TV series years and sequels. She's not a reporter yet. I love this. I love seeing her as someone who did something. I've done this similar when I was in high school. Like I remember doing things on, you know, the yearbook team and different types of reporting where you would, this was a common thing. And this is someone who has this dream to be a thing and it's just nurturing itself in high school, which can be all sorts of crazy and you can take crazy risks and think, oh, well, I'll just go report on this big villain that is, you know, terrorizing the city and I'll, I'll solve the crime and I'll be an ace reporter. That's a very kind of, it feels like a teenage fantasy, but also, you know, a, a true goal that she's working yeah. toward. And I like, see, I, I'm going to be excited to see her arc and yeah. find out what happens when and if she kind of achieves that. Yeah. I mentioned Lois Lane. This is actually more akin to Chloe from Smallville, this very much intrepid so. reporter yeah. who is really, she's exploring the weird stuff of Smallville. Conspiracy theorist. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's kind of what I attach myself to because I love Chloe's character in Smallville because of that and how, oh my gosh, she's getting close to Clark's secret. What's it going to be? Of course, she knows all about, you know, the turtles here and there with April, but, but yeah, that, that, I got that kind of vibe there. I want to talk a little bit about the villain, Superfly, played by Ice Cube. This is this is great. <laughs> this was like unexpected because in almost every iteration of the turtles that I've seen, the main baddie is the Shredder or Krang or the Shredder again or the Shredder again. And I was so happy that we got the Baxter Stockman connection and that it wasn't really Baxter. That was the other kind of thing that was thrown from I thought, okay, okay, it's going to be Baxter, Baxter Stockman. Okay, I can deal with that. I like that. Nope, it's not Baxter. It's actually Superfly. It's this kind of merging of these characters into this like hip hop dude who knows how to handle his business. Like every time Ice Cube is on the scene as Superfly, he just chews up the scene. Like I, I, I didn't know who to root for at some point, like because he just had this cool factor. This whole, the whole scene. In the, in the bowling alley, I was like, I'm kind of on your side there, Superfly. I kind of like what you're doing. You got a little Thanos-esque going on with there. But it was just really nice and refreshing to know that 
you have a character who these other four are sort of manipulated into thinking, you know, that's not that's not far fetched. You know, we want to you know, we want to live and be free. But they kind of realize not at the expense of killing humankind and making everybody into a into a, you know, a mute, a mutant of some kind. So I, I love that he has his own little goon squad, Bebop, Rocksteady, Wingnut. I think there were a little too many for me. Like there's a lot of characters in here that get some screen time. And I get that, you know, when you have this big kind of entourage of characters, it's kind of cool. But at the same time, for me, it felt a little too much because I was like, well, if I latch onto one of these characters, what's to say they're not going to just be killed because there might just be a red shirt in disguise when it comes to his goons. But I, but I really, really liked him. I liked him a lot too. I thought it was a pretty smart and interesting origin story switcheroo to have Baxter Stockman at the very beginning of that scene running around. I don't remember who voiced him, but I feel like it was somebody, was it Jeffrey Wright maybe? It was somebody that was definitely noticeable. And Giancarlo so Carlo Esposito. Oh yeah, Giancarlo Esposito. That's right. So it was somebody, which is also kind of funny because he's like in a lab, it's like a Breaking Bad connection there. But I think he was in Breaking Bad. Hopefully I'm right. Yeah, he he was. Anyway, my point being is that Baxter Stockman, it's set up to have us expect that Superfly is the form of Baxter Stockman once he gets mutated. Because that's what happens in the origin story is Baxter Stockman gets turned into a fly. And so instead, to have it be the fly itself as something that Baxter Stockman was working on for this company, and then it to evolve on its own after watching Stockman get killed is just a really intriguing choice. And to give it that agency and to give it that kind of backstory that is propelling its actions to move forward, where now it hates all these humans because they're just eradicating mutants. They're just treating them like test subjects. I thought that that was really intriguing and a pretty cool idea. I do definitely believe that there were too many villains. The overuse of them again, I'm going to go out on a limb and guess, is one of those, we're going to give you a taste of these guys because we hope to like drop them in and out of the TV series here and there. Like, I mean... Bebop and Ross Daddy are going to have to be part of the TV series. I just, I can't imagine you'd go through arcs of a TV show without them. They're probably not going to be voiced by Seth Rogen and John Cena, which is probably why they don't have a ton of dialogue here as well. It's easier to then make that shift. I'm just projecting, but I believe that's what will happen. There were too many. And I, for my money, Patrick, like Bebop and Ross Daddy are iconic in a way that like my friend Andy came to this press screening with me and I was wearing my turtle shirt and he was wearing a Bebop and Rocksteady t-shirt. Like they have their own t-shirts that, that be, they have fans. And so I felt like they were very underused and underserved to be like a couple of goons in two scenes for a bigger villain. And that's it. I would have rather than be much bigger part of a story that they're going to be introduced and be in Mondo Gecko was perfect, hilarious, great little arc of friendship there with Michelangelo as the two bros talking all California. I mean, it just, yeah. it was 
the, the dialogue. Up, I up, yeah, yeah I crack up at that every every time I saw the trailer. That part was what I would crack up at. Like, and my wife was like, "Why do you like that so much? Because it's cool. It's cool, you know." <laughs> they were absolutely hilarious. I, I just couldn't. I couldn't not hold in the laughter when they were talking to each other. But yeah, some of the rest of them are just too many. You know, the whole fly that Splinter falls in love with, that, that, that's where the kind of juvenile nature of this pushes over the limit for me a little bit too far. But they're minor things. I, I think overall, I get it. You want this chaos. And, and it ultimately, Patrick, it, all, it boils down to like the big monster that has to be overcome because Superfly just merges into this giant, mishmash of different mutants and it's dynamic and it's exciting visually but it's not interesting narratively to me at that point really so yeah i mean for the most part it's pretty successful for what it was trying to do it's trying to be crazy and chaotic like that's the point i i understand that it just doesn't work as much for me once we're throwing all the mutants at the screen all the time yeah and i think it, it makes for a lot of fun on the screen it's very the energy, I think, is what attracts the younger audience. Like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Um, you know, they get that small moment where I think it's Donatello fires the uh, the anti-mutagen thing <laughs> at his his muted his leg, and like one horse the falls horse off. comes off. Like, yeah, that was pretty yeah, funny. I got it. Pretty admit. funny. But you know, it, it kind of leans into that whole god, you know, just a Godzilla story. Like, let's take down the you know the creatures attacking the city. Let's take him down. And then you get to a place where I think the story starts twisting in on itself because earlier than that, you had the come to Jesus meeting with the turtles and all the other mutants that were like, we're on your side, guys, which I didn't expect to see. I did not see that coming because, again, being used to the 87 cartoon series and then the follow up movies, the turtles were the only good mutants. So I thought that was actually a nice way to change things up a bit to have the potential for Bebop and Rocksteady among the others, but those in particular have their own sort of like anti-hero type thing. Like that's something I think is going to be really interesting in the TV series and maybe the follow-up movie is these guys who might have their own little origin story. I mean, they were in that lab too. And at one point, I think it was Cynthia Ultram. I want to talk about her for a minute, but her goons, I thought, were going to turn into Bebop and Rocksteady because I thought one of them sounded like John Cena. <laughs> That's how like honed in I was. Is this going to be John Cena? I don't know how I feel about Cynthia Ultram and that whole subplot. To me, I get why it's there. The reason it's there, though, is not enough to support this movie. This is, this is the reason the TV show exists. She's the reason. Right. Any, other, any other piece, it's all about the what we got on screen it's all about superfly and his taking over the city and they're attacking him you you don't include that you don't have a tv series i think you do but it feel it cheapens it just a little bit for me because i'm like eh, this isn't you could give me a tv show you could say hey coming to the small screen soon i'm like yes i'm with that but you don't need to hint with this lady that you know that she's going to be the main person and i'm like i don't know that i'm interested enough in her more than I am the life of what these four turtles are going to be be doing in high school. Couldn't agree more with all of that. I think it's fine to have her set up when the whole thing goes down with Baxter Stockman and we see the origin story of Superfly, even throw her in occasionally 
couple of those quick shots of dialogue where she's giving orders or reacting to things as Superfly is trying to steal the different parts. But we didn't need the milking stuff. We didn't need her to actually capture them. And then a couple of action scenes with the goons later on because she exists entirely to set up the long-term villain of Krang. Like, that's why she's there. That's what TCRI is. It's, it's tied to Krang, and that's how we're going to get him into the universe. And so that it, it really only exists to do that in this particular movie. And I think you could have tightened a little bit up there, and it wouldn't have you know, distracted at all from the main plot. I think it was, would have been fine without her like being so involved. Yeah, I mean, well. <laughs> I'd actually forgotten a little bit about the milking part. That was just weird to me. Like, I don't. That was I the joke that I did not, did not I vibe just, with. I don't, I don't. It's yeah, the dumbest was, thing ever. Because yeah. it pays off, and, and I'm not going to lie, this is a teenage thing. It pays off, and I laughed because it paid off, but it never made sense in the first place. Like, why would the turtles or a, even a rat even come up with the fear in the first place of being milked am i missing something biologically did i have i like not known something about turtles my entire life can you milk them like it just doesn't make any sense at all they're not cows and so i just didn't it just was like from the start i was again logically struggling with that joke i i think it was a rogan moment like i, I think he thought this would be kind of funny and Probably, yeah. It's, I mean, I, you know, if you if you're kind of one of the the spearheads behind a movie like this, I guess you can throw in your own stuff and and be fine with that. But this feels like something that Seth Rogen would throw in and be like, "Hey, you know, it'd be funny if we start talk about milking turtles." Like, no, they did really keep that funny. So. The the references to Eastman and Laird, I, I appreciated that as well. Yes. So it's Eastman High School, and before yep. that, I didn't catch it, but I know that I saw Laird somewhere. So it was like. Somewhere on there is like Laird Avenue or something like that. I remember seeing a sign or something that yeah. said Laird. So I thought that that was cool. That was cool. Yeah, I, I was looking for that. When I heard Eastman once, I was like, okay, where's Laird? Where's Laird? Okay, there it is. Yeah. That's about all I have. I want to talk a little bit about the stinger at the end. And again, this is the Marvel effect where my son leaned over. He goes, is there something? And I'm like, probably. And, you know, I'm just like, I'm, I'm ready to, to leave the theater in, in protest, but... Sure enough, there was a there was a stinger mid credits. It's we get the shredder, and it wasn't unexpected. I was glad, as I think, as we mentioned, that shredder was not the focal point of this. But I am curious what his like role in this is going to be, since he's not tied to the origin story of Splinter and the Turtles. So I, I, it makes me curious. I, it's been a while since I've watched the the original cartoon series. I don't remember where. I mean, I think he was tied to Splinter there as well, but yeah, I'm I'm curious how that's going to play out. And also, because we know there's going to be a Paramount Plus TV series that's sort of bridging the two movies that are going to take place, I'm wondering if the bridge TV series is going to be independent. Like, do you need to, will you need to have watched the two seasons that it's slated for? I don't think you will. I think it's just sort of like this in-universe set of stories about these teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles kind of finding their way in high school. But is that something that you're interested in in terms of the TV series or this, you know, this follow-up that's potentially going to be happening? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I was all in the moment I saw it. I can't wait for the TV show. I've missed the last couple 
versions of animated turtle series. I've watched pieces of them. They're vastly different and they have their own strengths for sure, but I haven't been able to watch one all the way through. So I will make it a point to watch this one from start to finish. I of course I'm fine with the shredder being brought into the story and I'm excited to see how that happens. I felt like this teaser was undercooked simply because of how he in, is introduced. It, it did not make a lot of sense to me the way that nothing is tied together. So for Cynthia Utram to say, call in the shredder as the person to come clean things up. It really did feel like they were just at this point, we got to tease all of the classic villains and we got to make sure they know that all these things are going to be part of this universe still. So how do we do that? And it was just, it, it feels rushed. It feels simplified in a way that didn't really do anything for me. Like I didn't get the excitement that I got at the end of say, the Transformers movie this year, Rise of the Beasts, when there was a reveal there and I literally was like jumping out of my seat in surprise and interest because of how it was set up and because of the potential for how that could integrate within the story that I just saw and the characters with the ones that I just watched. This one was more of a like, oh yeah, oh yeah, don't, don't yeah, the Shredder exists. Like, okay, duh. Didn't even need a mid credit scene to tell me that. Like, I kind of, I knew, I knew that, right? Yeah. So, yeah, it was, it was like, whatever to me. Yeah, you had me with the TV series. I'm excited about that and looking forward to really what the, I think the premise that I was reading about is it's really about these four turtles who have their own individual lives that they're living. And I think that's going to be kind of something really interesting because, you know, as someone who loves movies and maybe even TV shows that take place in high school, this is right up my alley. So I'm excited to see what happens with those. But yeah, I'm looking forward to the sequel when, if it eventually comes out, you know, this writer strike and actors thing happening. It's just like, okay, well maybe 2028 or maybe before I hit 50, we'll see, we'll see there. But all right, well that will do it for this edition of feeling film. We hope you've enjoyed this conversation. I know that we have, we'll be back next week with another great discussion on something that hopefully we both enjoy. I'm pretty confident that we will. Aaron, thanks for another great one. We'll talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filled.